Welcome. I'm Victoria Schneps, publisher and president of Schneps Media. And I'm so pleased today to have with us a very special person, Judge Karen Gopi, who has really come from East New York, who has become a now a state Supreme Court judge, but she was a prosecutor. She was a court attorney. And now she sits on that revered bench. I have to find out if she wears a lacy uh, collar like my girlfriend, Judge Judy, does. <laughs> so welcome, Judge Gopi. Welcome. Good morning, and thank you for having me. Well, you know, we are very proud to have as power women, and this is a power woman podcast, uh, you who have chosen the path of uh, very hard work to get from uh, East New York, where you grew up, to uh, the to law school, to becoming a prosecutor at the DA's office, to becoming a court attorney, and now a judge sitting on the Supreme Court. Well, who inspired you when you were growing up? Was there somebody or something that happened that made you think this is a path I want to take? So I would say in terms of who inspired me, there was not one person, but much the females in my family. And to expand on that, my family came here as immigrants when I was very young from Trinidad, and we lived in basically trying to adjust to the American lifestyle, but hold on to our traditions. And some of the traditions were um, very male-dominated, where the women were in more of a subservient role, and the men were in charge of making decisions, bringing home the money, and really controlling in some way the women in their lives and the children and growing up kind of seeing the duality of traditional life from Trinidad versus um, life in America I realized that I wanted more and as strong as the women family were I really thought that you know if they had more of an education and the ability to work and control their finances they can make more decisions. So pretty much that's what inspired me to kind of go to school, focus, and choose the law in terms of then putting me in a position where I can be more verbal and make my own choices. Well, you know, it's interesting. The um, negative made you propel to the positive. It's true. And I think, you know, in terms of going on to law school, but how did that journey happen to get where you are today? It's perseverance and determination, and I think a combination of people not believing that this young immigrant girl from East New York had any chance of doing it, and me wanting to prove them wrong. I love that. I love that, because that shows your grit. <laughs> and did you use scholarships, or how did you get yourself through school? It was a combination of scholarships and grants. I was very fortunate that I was granted a partial scholarship for a state university of Binghamton and then a full scholarship for law school. Where did you go to law school? St. John's. Oh, okay. The stalwart in Queens. Very wonderful school, bringing out a lot of people who are really uh, very uh, active in the community, not just, but they don't leave us. You know, people from St. John's tend to stay and, and make their contribution right here in Queens. So in your case, when you became an attorney and you took the bar, did you go right into uh, getting the into a DA's office? Was that your path? 
It was. I went straight from law school to the district attorney's office. And one of the reasons I selected the district attorney's office is I really wanted to work with uh, domestic violence victims. It's one of those areas that were a real concern within my family and within my community. And it really inspired me to continue and get through law school and to choose the career path that I did in criminal law and starting with the district attorney's office. Well, that's not an easy path because I know you see many terrible things that you have to deal with every day. But what is it like to go from a prosecutor to a judge? What is the difference in the hats that you have to wear? Did one help you do the other job better? Because, you know, I was a school teacher in my first life. And all the things I learned as being a teacher, I bring now to my work in publishing and the news business. So how did you transition? Well, I definitely think for all experiences in life, help build your foundation and you call upon in any new position that you have. So I agree with you entirely, Vicki. In terms of the transitioning, I think my path was very, very different than most of my colleagues in terms of I was a prosecutor and at least at being a prosecutor in Brooklyn where I was, there was the opportunity that not only were prosecutors um, expected to review cases and decide what we were going to prosecute and go hard on, but we were also allowed the opportunity to offer programs and services. And some of the bureaus that I worked with or departments included domestic violence and included crimes against children. The DA, the first DA, I think, in in the city actually had um, licensed social workers in the office. So we had the opportunity of working with licensed social workers with our victims to provide services and also to look at the background of the offenders that came before us. And a lot of times, you know, whether it's domestic violence or um, sex crimes, you're talking about individuals or offenders who were victimized themselves Mm. or grew up in cycles. So it was important to kind of separate out the offenders where you were looking at punishment and jail time and the offenders that you were looking at treatment and services, whether it was um, control, you know, treatment for controlled substances, for mental health for like cycles and stability issues or financial issues that they had in their life. And it really gave me a different perspective on how we handle cases. And I brought that with me to the bench and also to my court attorney position where I worked in a treatment court that worked with family court, criminal court and housing court. And it was a way to like, to really appreciate the background of individuals and what they bring, why they come to court before us and really kind of trying to pay attention to who are the ones that we need to really worry about punishment and getting them away from society and really the ones that we need to try to rehabilitate because jail doesn't necessarily um, help you be a better person when you come out. Well, that's the sad thing about the recidivism that goes on because they don't have programs, it seems to me, unless there are some, and we're not aware of it, that helps people bring people back into society with some training for a job. Is that going on? Vicki, that's going on all, all over the place. District attorney's offices have specific programs to assimilate back offenders back into the community. 
and there's also training programs within the community based in community organizations. So there's a ton of programs out there. Unfortunately, I don't think the general public knows a lot about them. Well, you gave me fodder for a good article. We've got to get a reporter out there to interview the DA and be able to cover some of these opportunities because, you know, it, people are so, worlds are silos and they're so isolated from where they can get help that this is a problem that uh, we face every day in various levels. Are you able to see that there are programs if you see someone who needs a program, like I think a big face we're facing is the mental illness and what's going on with the people who have no services and therefore they take to the streets. But are there services that you find, are you able to order somebody to go to a service for somebody who's potentially mentally ill? So Vicki, I'm sure you don't know this, there is specialized courts. So there's mental health courts, there's drug treatment courts, there's domestic violence courts. So there's certainly these courts that have um, additional personnel that can screen and assess and place. There's even a veterans court that works with the Office of Veteran Affairs. So there are services and programming out there. In addition, we have two options. While a case is pending, we can, as a condition of release, meaning instead of bail or releasing someone with no conditions, we can say, I am going to release you under the condition that you attend this program. You get tested this amount of times a week, and we can work with the program to actually report to us. We can do um, what's called electronic monitoring with the program. We have a host of things that we can do. I'm not saying that all of them are the most effective, but we do have a list. Unfortunately, while we have mental health programming available to us, beds are extremely limited and course can be problematic at times. Well, I think, you know, this is the biggest fear right now is safety on the streets of people in New York. And I know that we do go by the numbers and we're, I'm happy to tell you that uh, the streets are safer than they were 20 years ago, but it's the perception now that everything is dangerous. And I think it seems to be there are more people who are in need of mental health beds and they're just not there. So we're, you know, we're, we're proposing that they look at Creedmoor. There's a big building there that's half empty or three quarters empty. And there are beds that could be set up for people who need treatment. But there's a very big shortage of those, as you say, as well. So it really puts people back on the street. And I wonder if there are many um, what they call sheltered homes where people can be in a residence and get mental health. Do you find you have any of those to offer to people who are or that's a different court than yours? Well, I deal with some of it. it. It's mostly specialized when we identify some serious issues that um, take you out of the regular courts. It's very difficult because there's so many parameters and these, the individuals that come before us that need help a lot of times don't have insurance or may not be uh, have legitimate status here. There's all these barriers sometimes to actually getting services that they need and or getting a clear background of the individual that we have before us and an appropriate diagnosis. The court system is really interesting. We have systems in place where we can do evaluations and get a diagnosis, but then there's no referral to services at times. Wow. And there's this disconnect that we're all working on and trying to make better. 
Well, I think that that's, uh, you know, our Mayor Adams is a full press court on trying to find answers to the problems that uh, our, you know, citizens of New York City are facing. And I know that we uh, we have a large audience. You'll be happy on the uh, Long Island as well. And I think, you know, this is something that's critical of having care for the people that are needing it. And I think, you know, a society is judged by how well they treat the most help, help, helpless of the people here amongst us. And we have a very long way to go to fulfill that. But I know that you work day and night doing that. So I'm so happy to have this chance to chat with you. And I, I wanted to see if you could share with us some ideas of how would you suggest somebody gets on the kind of path you did of success? What do they need to do to be successful? What suggestions would you give to our listeners? I think most important is finding your passion. And I know it sounds cliche and I know many people say this, but if you truly love and believe in what you do, it does not feel like work. And I say that take all the hardships of your life that you experience, all the naysayers, um, all the doubts, all the people who say, you know, maybe you should do something easier and use that to motivate you and inspire you. I think there's strength from vulnerability. And I think that we can either choose to be a victim or we can choose to be a survivor. And if you choose to be a survivor, it's a powerful thing. And I also really truly believe that once you quote unquote make it, whatever position that you have, reach down and help other people because it's so satisfying and it helps you to be grateful for what you have as opposed to taking it, it for granted. Those are very great words of wisdom. And I am so happy to be talking with Judge Karen Gopi. You are a role model for every woman in our city. And thank you for your time. And we are so proud of you. This is Victoria Schnepp signing off. Till next time. Power women, we are. Bye.